Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's one pickle short of a pickle party. It's my sister, Marissa. Any joke I make that keys off of that is just going to get dirty really fast, so I'm just going <laughs> to just leave just it alone. Just going to let it go. Just going to let leave it go. it alone. Yeah. We have plenty to talk about with that scene, I feel like, so we can so get much. to it later. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, welcome to... Our analysis of the finale of season two of The Good Place. We made uh, it, guys. We made it. We made it a whole season. <laughs> we made it a whole season. This episode just, I'll, I'll say off the top, just like blew all of my expectations out of the water. Every single one of them. <laughs> but before we get to that, we should do some housekeeping very quickly up front. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. Uh, you can find us at goodplay.cast.rocks. You can also find us on Twitter at The Good Play Pod. You can find us on Facebook at The Good Play. And you can send us an email, thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. Okay. I, did I hit everything? Because I don't want to waste time with housekeeping. We have no. too much to talk about. That's enough. We're done. Okay. Now, before we get into the summary, okay. this is what I want to talk about. And I, I'm afraid I'm going to alienate you immediately. And oh, I'm no. sorry. Okay. This. There, there there, were so many moving pieces that we did not see moving through this season. So many call forwards that we didn't know about that it reminded me of Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no, doing this. I, it's not that you're alienating me. It's that I literally can't participate in this discussion. <laughs> but I'm going to try to be brief. I know I know my friend Kate who I watched who I watched the good place with loves Doctor Who, so I'm sure she would love to hear you talk and she also listens to this podcast. I'm sure she would love to hear you talk about Doctor Who, so take the floor. <laughs> I'm going to be quick about this and I don't even remember which season of Doctor Who it is, but it's been like at least 6 or so years, so like I'm going to be spoiling some Doctor Who things, but it's like two doctors ago at this point, so like get on wanna, it. I, yeah, I don't want to hear it. So this is the 11th Doctor and Amy Pond. It's probably their first season together. And this was a season that it was like a new showrunner and a new Doctor. And I was very wary of the whole thing. But during the season finale of this season, they showed you how the season had been planned out from the beginning and how the pieces clicked together and how they had done call forwards. And then, you know, obviously the season finale had the callbacks. I literally sat in my on my couch watching that season finale of Doctor Who, like <gasps> just gasping, like I couldn't believe. So, so very in, in a very short manner, the, the Doctor in the in the season finale of of that episode, the Doctor is rewinding through his own time stream. At one point, he hits an like an uh, a scene from an episode about halfway through the season, and you see that uh, an interaction that. Amy Pond and the Doctor have is actually an, an interaction that Amy Pond has with like the rewinding Doctor rather than the you know Doctor she came oh, into that episode interesting. with. Interesting, yeah, yeah. So at the time you're watching that episode and 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 they have that scene, they have that conversation, and you're like, okay, that was weird, but it's not so out of the ordinary. It seems like a it seems like a thing that the Doctor might say or do, or and, and it just kind of goes by. He's a Time Lord. He's weird, but then 
The finale comes. It turns out it's actually she's having a conversation with the rewinded doctor. The whole thing gets completely recontextualized. And it's just like, oh, my God, this season is genius. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what this, you know, I, I so I just I watched it obviously live because so, I do the live tweeting. Yeah. And everybody should follow us on Twitter. Yeah, I, I have such a good time with the live tweeting and like the, the hashtag community on Twitter is like really popping. But but that was when I watched the episode for the second time and I started some pieces starting falling together for me of this season. It was just like, dang, they plotted this season out so carefully to make to make these call forwards and callbacks and to have all these little pieces um, come together at the end. It was shocking to me. I would love to hear you talk more about that because I'm sure that's the case. But and I may have up on a couple of them but i would love to hear you i mean i i i certainly know one of them right off the bat and what that we can get into but this is the uh, one that i wrote into the the episode notes right about cheaty yeah 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 but you know if if there are any others i would love love your analysis and your your insight on that let's do that after the synopsis yeah the recap uh the episode is called somewhere else which I maintain is another red herring title, <laughs> but it's okay. Well, you were kind of right, actually, last week. Did, we, what did I, I say? Well, this is in... Oh, that's right. I just listened back to it. I said they weren't going to end up in the good place or the bad place or the medium place. They were going to end up somewhere else. You literally said, okay, sure. we're going to send you someplace else. It's not the good place. It's not the bad place. It's not the medium place. I was like, oh, you were right. I listened to the episode like right before we started recording. I was like, oh, dip. <laughs> So we pick up right where we left off. Uh, Michael is arguing the human's case to Judge Jen. Judge Which, Jen. I was going to say, I want a Judge Jen, like Judge Judy spinoff. Like, that's <laughs> what I want for her. But it's Maya Rudolph, like, but doing it's the Maya character. Rudolph, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Michael's whole argument to Jen is kind of um, what we've been saying on this podcast the whole time. <laughs> I think one of the tweets I sent out during the live tweet was, was I think Michael's been listening to our podcast. I was going to say, like, did we inception someone on the, like, did we inception, like, Joe, Mandy, and Megan Amram or something? Did they write this one, too? Um, I don't know, but the restaurant had a very Megan Amram name. Yeah, but she could have just thrown that in there. That's true. So, his whole argument is the argument that you and I have been making for the last 18 episodes, which is that the entire way that they determined whether people should go to the good place or the bad place is flawed because people can change after they have died. Yeah. And Jen says, yeah, they got better in like your, you know, bespoke little world, but that doesn't prove anything. And Michael's like, oh, it really does prove something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, he he's arguing very passionately. And I think... You know, like we said last time, Jen is bored, you know, so she's just yeah. sort of into, like, doing this for the sake of doing it. Yeah, she's like, I'm feeling kind of funky. Like, let's yeah. try this. Oh, we're not there yet, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So then we cut to the humans hanging around while um, Jen and Michael are in the next room kind of hashing things out. So first we see Tahani and Eleanor just sort of sitting together on the couch chatting about Tahani's test. Mm-hmm. Um, you say where does the couch come from? I assume Janet made it made it for them, or you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I was also, just like, Je- Jen has, seems to have infinite power, so she yeah. probably could make them a couch. She offers them chips and guac. <laughs> I was like, I was sitting there watching the show, but like, I, it's homemade guac. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone put out the guac for me. <laughs> so 
Tani's explaining what exactly happened with her test, but the, then she heard a voice in her head saying not to fall back into her old patterns, and apparently her the voice is that of her godmother, Maggie Smith. Tani, don't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> that was pretty good. Eleanor is proud of her, and Tahani says that the only reason that she was been able to make it that far is because the two of them have become mates, which is British for friends. Aww. And they kind of like put their heads on they each other's snuggle. shoulders. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I guess that was the moment for the Tahani Eleanor shippers. Do they have a ship name? Uh, to Eleanor? El- it's Elhani. Elhani. Okay. Yeah, that's better than to Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> to Eleanor. <laughs> oh, no. Eleanor is going to Eleanor. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's, it's platonic, guys. Sorry. Um, uh, well, in this... Sorry, it, shippers. You know. Yeah, Jason recaps the season for us, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, I'm not sure what, what I would do if one more crazy thing happened. And then Janet shows up and says, you know, I love you. And I've been trying to rationalize it away by saying that things are too complicated. But that was a rationalization. And I'm, I'm done with rationalizations. And Chidi is like listening to her talk and watching Eleanor kind of just stare off. Eleanor's just staring off into space. And, you know, when Janet says, this is just a rationalization, Chidi's like, like saying my brain is a fork in the garbage disposal. And, you know... Janet's like, this really isn't about you, Chidi. But then Chidi just, of course, like, you know, and then Jason's like, I love you too, girl. And she's like, I'm not a girl. I'm also not a Janet anymore. I don't know what I am. And we're like, okay, but this isn't really like, this is the sideshow, right? This is not what we're here for. What we're here for is Chidi striding over to Eleanor. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) Eleanor looking up and be like, hey, what's up, man? And him just taking her face in his hands and just laying one on her like the most romantic thing you've ever seen <laughs> I was like what just happened somebody call give me a fainting couch give me my tizzy couch <laughs> you need you need a uh, Tahani's fainting couch that's from the said, wedding it, episode the tizzy couch that's oh, what yeah, I yeah. so and Eleanor is just gobsmacked and like so deliriously happy and it's just so it's like this one moment of like I mean I guess we could have guessed like everything's about to go to hell for these people literally <laughs> so, they, so they just gave them like this one shining moment of like true love and then I guess uh yeah anyway <clears throat> she says hot diggity dog it's yes, very she does. cute yes she does and then she's like regretful that she said it but then she says it was an honest reaction oh so Michael and Jen come back in and they say, look, we're going to hash this out. But in the meantime, like we basically have to make a medium place for each of you, put you each in there and you can each be in your own medium place for anywhere between a month and a million years. Eleanor says that she hates the plan. And also she's a little dizzy because Chidi just kissed her. And Michael says, you two kissed hot diggity dog. And I, I like, loved that so yes. much because it's like, that's like. Your friend being yes. super psyched, but like really wanting something for you, and then when it happens, they're they're just as psyched, if not more, than you are. Yes, I love that. Oh, it was so oh so perfect. So Eleanor's like, oh, we've all gotten better, and how was this justice? And Jen's like, slow your roll. You know, you didn't pass the tests. I mean, Eleanor secretly did pass her test, but whatever. Yeah, you know, you didn't even pass your tests, and you know, the only reason you got better in the afterlife was because you were trying to get into the good place and that's not a real test. You're supposed to do good for the sake of doing good. Not because you're seeking moral dessert. And Brianna in the show notes and whoever is the editor at the AV Club do not know how to spell the dessert in I, moral dessert. I thought it was the 
I thought it was two S's. So that is when you have ice cream. <laughs> dessert is the noun form of deserve. So when someone gets their just desserts, it is D-E-S-E-R-T-S. I wanted to send an angry tweet to the A-B club. D-E-S-E-R-T-S. Like deserts? Well, but that's how you pronounce it when it's an arid region. Ugh. Sorry. Pedantic. <laughs> so, I, yeah, uh, both AV Club and Vox made this error. And um, so I, maybe, I, you know, it's like, don't <laughs> dig well, me for it if professional editors. <laughs> I really wanted to send them angry letters when I think my baby got me up at like one in the morning this morning. And I was like going through my Twitter and I was like, I'm going to send them such a letter to the editor. And then I fell back asleep. So it didn't happen. <laughs> anyway. Moral dessert, one S. That's dumb. No, it's not. And then Michael says that they would have become good in their lives if they'd just been given a little bit of a push. And then he seems to get an idea. And he and Jen have an incoherent sort of truncated discussion where they both are talking about something that none of us, the humans nor us can understand. But she agrees to do it. And Eleanor's like, can somebody explain to me what the f... And then Jen snaps and she opens her eyes on Earth in the supermarket parking lot right before her death. She's pulled out of the way by a stranger. You say probably Michael. I don't know. I looked at that guy who pulled her out of the way. It didn't look like Michael to me, but I couldn't tell you who it was. I assumed it was Michael. So she goes home and tells her garbage human roommates about her near death experience. So we need names for them. They they don't... They either don't have names or their names are lost to history. So the one of them is Dress Bitch. Yeah. The other one I'm going to call Haley. Sure. You okay with that? Sure. All right. So Haley is the one. So Dress Bitch is talking about how she also had a near-death experience because a building near her old dentist burnt down. And Haley says that she was in Syracuse, New York, two weeks before 9-11. Which I was watching this with my friend Kate. We met at Syracuse University. <laughs> I cannot tell you how, like, Syracuse is so far away from New York City. It takes, like, seven hours to get there for no reason. It's in the same state. So we were to, we were both, like... All, like rolling we were just like that is hilarious it's so if you know anything about the geography of new york you know that's ridiculous and then you know watching the show i was like that's the such a stupid claim and then i'm like oh they're all from arizona like for them like the whole east coast is just yeah, like one well, blob. yeah that's it yeah because when you say you're from like i have a friend who's from upstate and he, when he tells people he's from new york they assume new york city sure yeah so you know, Haley and Dress Bitch are, like, just being vapid, and Eleanor... Yeah, they uh, care more about the margarita mix that she dropped than yeah. they do about her. Yeah. yeah. So she abandons them sitting in the living room, and she goes back to her own bedroom, and she writes on Facebook that she's been a monster, but she wants to try to be a better person. She quits her job. She awkwardly accepts an invitation to a baby shower. That was so funny. It was great. She <laughs> apologizes to the environmental activist who she told in her death scene, her averted death scene to eat her farts which i, I have his... to admit i say to my five-year-old now when he annoys me i tell him to eat my farts <laughs> oh i can't wait for that next time we're all together as a family and i ask him to do something and he says eat my farts auntie b um, i think the environmental activist i read in a review that his name is joe so we could just call okay him joe thank you, you joe great she asks she, she she apologizes to him and then asks him to help her become a better person. So she ends up joining this clean energy action thing that he's on. 
So Michael and Janet, we we realize now, we we cut to them. They're watching the humans' progress on ticker tape, like honest to God ticker tape. Um, I think it's somewhat notable that Janet seems to be monitoring Jason's ticker tape. Yeah, I noticed that too. And Michael is definitely monitoring Eleanor's. And poor Tahani and Chidi are. <laughs> Nobody's looking. Well, they, they I, could I, be wonder, doing anything. I wonder for both of them, it's like, you're basically fine. Like, you'll figure yes. it out. <laughs> yes, really, seriously. Totally true. So, you know what my husband said to me at this point? He goes, how did they get Jason to not die from the thing that he died from? Which... I think we have to table that discussion because there's a whole brouhaha about what exactly this whole thing is. Yeah, we're going to get to We're, we're yeah. going to get to it. Yeah, yeah. So Michael is happy that Eleanor seems, you know, the ticker tape seems to indicate that she's doing okay. It's like, uh, you know, it's like Cypher watching the uh, the green characters in the Matrix. Michael seems yes, to know what's going on. Yes, it is. <laughs> All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. Yeah. <laughs> so Eleanor is, we get like a montage with like a, like a too modern pop song for me to know it of <laughs> Eleanor working with the clean energy group. And then she goes out to dinner with Haley and dress bitch. And <laughs> she tells him she's trying to be a vegetarian. And then Eleanor admits to dress bitch that, that about the dress bitch incident, that they were the ones who made the t-shirts dress bitch freaks out to the nth degree and kicks them out of her apartment. She was, as the kids say, very extra about them. Yes. <laughs> Oh, those children in the <laughs> slang. <laughs> so Eleanor is still trying to be good, but it's getting harder. And Michael is getting worried as he watches the ticker tape. She bumps into... She's driving a Prius. I don't know if you noticed this. She's driving I a did. Prius. In, in, yeah, yeah. So she, as she is driving her Prius, she accidentally bumps, very gently bumps someone else's car and leaves a note. The person ends up suing her for whiplash when she wasn't even in the car at the time. And Haley has no... So Haley moved with her into a new apartment, like a, which is a lot less nice than, than Dress Bitch's apartment. Yeah. And Haley has no sympathy and is just like, you know, how is this whole being good thing working out for you, basically? It's not it's not going great. Which is something that I, I want to talk about that more, but I want to talk about that during the discussion section. Okay, make a note. Okay. I'm not going to remember. Okay, I'll write it. Um, so... Joe comes to Eleanor's new apartment and is like, you know, this is a job and you haven't shown up for a while. And she's got excuses and she's trying to, and, and you know, they're kind of legit excuses, but it is a job. You can't just stop going. And then Haley comes in and says she got them tickets for um, a Taylor Swift reggae cover band. And Eleanor says, you know, I'm going to do that instead of going to the going to the job. And Joe is saying, you know you know, come on, do the right thing here. And she said, and Eleanor's like, look, I've been being good for six months and I have nothing to show for it. Like everything in my life has turned out wrong. And, you know, what do you get out of it? And he says a feeling of fulfillment in your soul. And Eleanor's like, gross. That is the grossest thing that anyone's ever said. I want to talk about this too later. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is going to be a two hour episode. I can this feel it. I feel it in my bones. In, buckle in everyone. <laughs> I mean, you know, listeners know because they can see in their podcatcher how long this is. We're the ones who are ignorant. They, they are the wise ones. Yes. So Eleanor quits. She goes back to talking to her old boss. Seth Morris. Who, who is in a Ponzi scheme within a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> He's teaching a class at a for-profit university on how to sell supplements. <laughs> She's he's like, great. I'm in witness protection, so I can't be convicted. And she's like, not a thing. No, Don't no. care. Where's my desk? And then Michael, we see Michael talking to Janet and he says, you know what the problem is? And she says, yeah, but 
you can't do anything about it. And then Michael gets a look on his face like, friggin' watch me do something about yeah, it. Yeah, really. So it's Eleanor's birthday. You may not remember that her um, her near-death experience actually happened on her birthday. Yeah, because uh, so the cashier is... said, any big plans for your birthday? And she gave yes. some smart-ass remark. Yeah. Right. So it's a year later, and she ends up at a bar with Haley, and then Haley immediately pieces out. And so then she sits down at the bar, and uh, I would like to say that uh, Sam Malone is her bartender. This made me so happy. I mean, I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. And then I as didn't soon as, either. As soon as because I because you see vaguely that there's someone else sitting at the bar, and I was like, oh, this is it's gonna be I don't know Tahani or the judge or something. No, the the person sitting at the bar is is nobody. We never see them. And then they cut to the bartender, and it is. Uh, Michael with a bar towel slung over his shoulder, just like, um, you know, NBC circa 1978. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Uh, let's all go to Flaming Moe's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh, so great to see him in that back in that role. It was just so friggin' perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, want to talk about it? <laughs> ah! yeah, it sounds like you've had a crazy year. <laughs> so she tells him everything that's happened. She also tells him the plot of Kangaroo Jack for some reason. I wanted it to be Cannonball Run 2. Oh, that would have been so great. Yeah. Uh, so he, he gives her a little philosophy lec- lecture, you know, where cause she's saying, you know, what did I get for trying to be good? And he says, oh, you're talking about the concept of moral dessert. And, you know, she has no idea what that is because all of Chidi's lessons have been men in black flashy thinged out of her head. (laughs) And Michael says, you know, it's the idea that if you act virtuously, you ought to get some sort of reward. And she says, yes, I want a tiara and one of those diagonal award belts, you know, and Michael's like, yeah, a sash. Yeah. Uh." Which is? Yeah. The exact thing she got in one of the iterations in the bad place. The the good bad place. The bad good place. Yeah. The best person, Sash. So Michael says, you know, I had a friend who... (laughs) I know, I know. I mean, like, okay, let's save it for discussion, but let's talk about the fact that Michael has um, memory wiped the only friends he's ever had, except for Janet. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that! (laughs) Put it on the list! (laughs) Two hours! I'm putting it on the list! Two hours on the clock! I'm putting it on the list! Michael memory wipe. Yeah. Okay. So Michael says, you know, I had a friend who, you know, when she did bad things, she heard a little voice in her head telling her that what she was doing was wrong. And I think that was her conscience. And uh, Eleanor says something disparaging about this friend. And of course, she's talking about herself. And Michael says, you know, she was a little rough around the edges, but she was a good person when she tried. And, you know, like very deliberate emphasis there. Yeah. And Eleanor says, you know, what do I owe you? Because she's been drinking this whole time at the bar. Yeah, she's like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Immediately uncomfortable. I think in that moment, it's like the discomfort with facing, you know, this conversation. She's like, I gotta go. Yeah. And she says, what do I owe you? And Michael says, the real question, Eleanor, is what do we owe to each other? Of course, this is the book that Eleanor wrote on the flyleaf of 
find Cheedy at the end of season one, and that little piece of paper comes back up at the beginning of season two. Yeah. We had an episode called What We Owe to Each Other. I have thought about us reading this book as like a book club version of the podcast, but the general consensus online is that it is impenetrable. Oh, is it true? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. not It's not aimed at a general audience, so otherwise I would have us do it, but yeah. it's like a real philosophy book. We oh. would be totally lost. Yeah. Anyway... So that notion of what do we owe to each other, that phrase sticks in Eleanor's head. She wakes up with a hangover. Uh, Michael goes back to the ticker tape room and asks Janet if anyone notices he was gone. She says no. And he's like, ha Eleanor Googles what we owe to each other. One of the first Google results somehow is <laughs> Chidi giving a lecture on YouTube. Three hours of lecture about the concept of what we owe to each other. And she watches the whole thing and is obviously completely entranced. And then her roommate, you know, tries to get her to, Haley tries to get her to go do something. And Eleanor says, no, I have to go somewhere else. And then we see her taking a Qantas flight to Sydney, which yeah. B- BT yeah. dubs I've done, it's 17 hours from, also, from the West Coast. Also, how expensive is that to get, uh, like, yeah, a last-minute ticket yeah, if you've got no money? It's, yeah, it's, it's not cheap. And uh, she f- goes to, what is it, St. Regis University or Saint, something? St. John's. Thank you. The cab driver tells her no worries in a very Australian accent. And <laughs> she goes, she finds his office, she knocks on his door, she asks if he's Cheedy Anna Kendrick. Which I loved. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, I'm Cheedy Anna Gonye. You know, did you give the nerdy talk about the nerdy, what we owe to each other? Like, yeah, I gave the whatever honorary ethics lecture on the practical app, blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, and she, you know, she says, I'm Eleanor Shellstrop. Can we talk? And that's it. That's the end of the season. And Michael sees that and says, Oh, I'm so sorry. That is not the end of the episode. The end of the episode is Michael seeing that happen on the ticker tape. And he goes, all right, here we go. What a way to end. What (laughs) a way to end everyone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> the, the internet... I think we should start two hours on the clock now. Yeah, I know. We're gonna... I'm, I'm gonna be a wreck tomorrow. Um, yeah. The internet is on fire right now. Because there are two opposing camps, and I don't even know which one I'm in. And one of them is, this is a simulation that they have dropped these people into, that is just like their real lives to see how they will act. And the other half of the internet says... Oh no, they rewound time and averted these four people's deaths to see what would happen. I don't know what to think, Brianna. I don't um, know what to think. I, so, um, I didn't, cat even, I didn't even think about the fact, <laughs> I, my brain is broken. Um, no, like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is, they are back on Earth and they're actually alive. Um, I didn't even think about it as a simulation, but then when I read that in our show notes that you you wrote that in, I started thinking about some of the things in the episode, and I was like, oh, yeah, I I, I can see why there's evidence for that. So, okay, I don't so know. let's talk about the opposing evidence, the textual evidence on both sides. Okay. So, on the side of they really did rewind time, and these people are actually alive again. That would be an explanation for why Jen is so... Opposed. Thank you. Why Jen is so opposed to doing this. Why she fights Michael so hard on it. She says it's a bad precedent. You know, and he says, well, it's only four people. You know, they're really hashing something out there. Which you would think if it were a simulation, 
maybe she wouldn't care so much. Yeah. Because whatever. Okay. Then I would say sort of neutral evidence. I can't tell you whether or not this is, is evidence on which side. But sort of the, the the ability for anybody to rewind time, put these people back on Earth alive. And then let's remember all the souls that died since they died, I guess, get vacuumed back up into the real world. You know, all these people who were in the good and bad places are, are now not because... Surely time has continued to move since the f- cockroaches died, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't... And for for one thing, they didn't all die in the same moment. So, there were other people who died after the earliest one of the four of them died. So, it would have to be a situation where all these souls sort of reverted back onto Earth. And somehow that would have to be done without notifying the authorities. But I would say... If that's the case, if anyone can do it, it's this judge character who seems to be way more powerful than anybody that technically works for the good or bad place. So I would say that's a possibility. She could make it. If anyone can make it happen, she can make it happen. But it would be a huge thing to do. Yeah. And then evidence on the side of it being a simulation. I want to hear what you think. Well, so, oh, the one thing is that the bar that Eleanor goes into is called Sting's Desert Rosé. I loved that. I loved it. But that is a very Megan Amram, Bad Place, Kanish from a Rose-esque kind of name for a bar. Right. So that's, but that's your, that's your evidence that she's in a simulation, right? That's one of the pieces of evidence. And also that she was, Eleanor is completely alone at this bar the whole time that she's talking to Sam Malone slash Michael. I, well, she's not at the very beginning. She's talking to some rando and it looks like there are people in the bar. But by the time they're finished talking and he says the real question, Eleanor, is what do we owe to each other? It it pans out and you or it zooms out and you just see she's alone in this bar with him. Yeah. So either she closed the place down or it was only constructed for her and all these other people are simulations. And then the third thing that caught me while I was watching the episode, but I was sort of willing to hand wave it away, is like in the very beginning of uh, the first season when we meet Chidi, he ba- yeah, he this says was to the her, big, "This was the big thing that made me go wait a second." Yeah, yeah. he sa- he says to her, or she says, "Your English is so good because he's from Senegal, so your English is so good." And he's he from says, Senegal, and what's the other country that he's from? So he was he was born in Senegal, and then he was raised in a different country, right? I think, a different African country. Yeah. Well, um, in any case. Um, your English is so good. And he says, I'm actually speaking French, and the good place just translates uh, translates you into um, like a, a, a language that the other person can understand to kind of hand wave away how you can have people from all over the world conversing in the same place and in a language that the audience understands too, right? Right. Um, so when she's watching this YouTube video, and it's Chidi's like very good English, American English. I was like, shouldn't he have a French accent at least? Or shouldn't this be subtitled? Accent, yes. And then she goes to his office and he also sounds like Chidi the way we have heard him. And I was kind of like, meh. But then I was like, I don't know, maybe I know people who speak English but are more comfortable, like speak English well but are more comfortable speaking their first language. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe he speaks English 
because he's in Australia, but he's more comfortable speaking French. But then I was like, that's a little bit of a stretch. So he would have to be able to speak English, just teach at this Australian university. I'm totally down with that. But there is no way in a million years he would have William Jackson Harper's accent. No, not if he's from Senegal. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have been... Kind of hilariously weird if you started suddenly talking like Chadwick Boseman in the Black Panther clips. Which, (laughs) I mean, I am for, for other reasons. But But that was the one thing. I mean, it took me, those who follow the Twitter account saw me having that realization in real time. Where like 10 minutes after the episode, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Shouldn't Cheney have had an accent? And then I was like, wait a minute, this whole thing. <laughs> this it's, whole, like, it's like a house of cards falling yes! down around here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't even want to take a stance because whatever stance I take is going to turn out to be wrong. But like, it would be a hell of a thing if they actually put them back on Earth for real. I mean, boy, oh boy. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, that was my thought. And then. I was watching with Kate and we were, she was, she kind of had that. She was like, so what's the deal? Do they all have to like die at the same time again? (laughs) Like, and that I was like, there are just a lot of logistical things about actually putting them back on earth that I think are, God, that's a stretch. But at the same time, this whole show is a stretch. This whole show is a suspension of disbelief. So yeah, sure. Like, yeah, you're going to put them back on earth. Okay. You're going to give them another shot at life. Sure. I mean, there's a part of me that believes that it's not a simulation because they all, or at least, I mean, we don't really see what happens to Eleanor, or I'm sorry, to to Hani and Jason, which was actually kind of like, I would have liked to have seen them a little bit, because I think maybe that would give us some context as to like whether or not. I would have liked to have seen Tahani in the background on a TV show. You know, just her being interviewed. You remember when she got interviewed by the girl from um, Emma Incorporated or whatever? Yeah, Emma approved. Whatever. Yeah. Just seeing, just, you know, the maybe the roommates are watching TV and Tahani is on TV being interviewed. Just to, like, see, like, okay, there she is. And and she was not crushed by that statue, right? Yeah, I mean, I think... She's not, you know, in a hundred pieces. She's, like, alive and well. Well, that's sort of my point, is that I think... What's so fascinating and interesting and what I can't wait for in season three is whether or not they're in a simulation or they're on Earth, what I kind of can't wait for is how they are all going to find each other again. Because Chidi and Eleanor have found each other and that, that to me, was so beautiful and wonderful with the callback to the season one finale. And yes, so that's, so that's right. That That's one of the things I'm talking about when I talk about it reminded me of Doctor Who. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, writing fine cheaty on the flyleaf of this book called What We Owe to Each Other. And then what we owe to each other being the keyword that gets Eleanor to find cheaty again. You know, just like, oh, God, that was so good. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And to be able to see, I think it's going to be great watching them i mean we talked about this coming into season two watching them find each other again and having no context for how they know each other but feeling a connection with one another we're going to see that again in this whether it's on earth or in a simulation so that i'm very very excited for but i don't know i mean i i don't know whether or not they are alive or whether this is like all an elaborate 
iteration of purgatory or a, me- a different medium place or who I, I have no idea. I will say that I was not crazy about last week's episode, but maybe the point of last week's episode was to illustrate to us that Jen has the ability to create any world that she chooses complete with human characters. So explain that. What I mean by that is Tahani's test involved, let's assume, and I think it's a totally fair assumption Let's assume all those doors actually had all those people behind them. Okay. And Eleanor's test involved a fake Chidi. Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. So, and so, and Chidi and Jason's tests did nothing and solved nothing and annoyed me. But the girls' tests proved that Jen has the ability to create an environment with completely convincing total copies of real human beings. So, we know Jen can do this. Okay, you're you're freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it may have been. I think those tests, which were, like, narratively weird and kind of, you know, that whole episode felt a little hinky to me. But I think maybe what it was setting up was this notion that you could make a bunch of people who are exactly like the real people that they are supposed to be like is something that is within Jen's power set you can't see my face right now but it is a <laughs> like a gif of like <laughs> just you know that gif of miss j from uh from america's next top model just sort of clutching her let chest just, and just let me just let me just google with this real quick. eyes bugging out just kind of like oh my goodness <laughs> like that's me right now Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, yes, yep, I know. Yep, 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 yep. Just <laughs> eyes bugging out. Uh-huh. Uh, With the one yeah. hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is this a the- famous person? Yes. From okay. America's Next Top Model. <laughs> <laughs> is this a famous person? So, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. How this whole season, it's not a puzzle box. This whole season has been engineered perfectly so that there are no, there are no holes there, and everything connects back to something. Yeah. And so the, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I put in the show notes and you were like, oh my God, I, forgot, I can't believe I forgot this happened, is that a few episodes ago when they were at the Terror of the Neighborhood Down Party and Eleanor was a little drunk and telling Chidi that she still has feelings for him or has feelings for him. And he's telling her the fork in the garbage disposal thing. He says to her, I wish we had met the way that normal people meet, you know, at a philosophy conference or you came to one of my philosophy lectures or that you come knocking on my office door asking for help with philosophy. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And then Eleanor says, you think that's how normal people meet? And he's like, I guess I don't really know how normal people meet, but like literally, first of all, (laughs) God, I I I wrote all caps. Oh my god, you are right. This happened in the balloon episode. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she watched one of his philosophy lectures and then she came knocking on his door for help, on a plane. for help, yeah, for help uh, with philosophy. Yes. So, obviously, now we can look back at that line and go, "Oh, they wrote the whole season as like one big block and then they started seeding the earlier episodes with hints with what was going to happen." I mean, this is nuts. Well, and I would argue, too, like, the dress bitch thing is the thing that gets her kicked out of the apartment. You know, they're the little thing. I think there are, like, littler things, too, probably, that, like, I'm missing and I would need to watch this episode, like, five more times to get. (laughs) 
Yeah. God, I, I think that's that's so sweet. It's so sweet and lovely that they've that they've done that. And I, I do recall reading an interview with Michael Schur a few months back where he was talking about writing sort of season long arcs and stuff that they knew what the end of season one was going to be. They knew what the twist was the whole time. And so you could see little things throughout and they sort of planned the second season arc the same way. And this is just, I found it interesting that um, he didn't used to write like that. And then um, in parks and recreation, when he was uh, show running that Amy Poehler got pregnant. And so they had to basically, figure out an entire season to make sure that like she could be there to film what she needed to before she went on leave. And so they had to basically break an entire season and then they found that it was much easier to write that way. So he's continued doing that. So I think it's interesting to see him sort of bringing that to, to this series. And I think with a series that is a parks and recreation, you don't really need to do that because it's it's more of a standard sitcom, so you don't have this like these like all these clues along the way that you have to be picking up on. But this is much more high concept, so you can. It's really wonderful to see that they've gone back in, and, or they've they've gone along the whole way, leaving these little breadcrumbs for you that you can go back and say, "Oh my god, this this thing happened," or "Oh, this is what they actually meant." You know, and and it's just so cool to see that. It's just really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, he this this show gets compared to Lost more than it gets compared to anything else. Which makes Be- sense, because he talked to Damon Lindelof before he started writing it. He's like, how do I do a show like this? Right. And there is, you know, I, like we said, we've never watched Lost. And no. we're not going to watch Lost. Don't bother asking us. But, <laughs> um, but you know, Lost had a lot, had a lot to do about the afterlife, in, ultimately, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So I don't, I don't have a prediction about whether or not they're in a simulation, but now I, that I you have... Lean, I lean simulation because I think the alternative is too complicated. And the other thing I was thinking, and I'm sorry, this is going to break people's hearts. I'm sorry. But like, um, so Chidi and Eleanor find each other. I, I think one of the prevailing themes of The Good Place at this point is that they are actually soulmates. And, you know, fight me. I, I don't care. Uh, this is this is my This is one of my theses here, is that... Mm-hmm. The Good Place is about a lot of things, and one of the things that it is about is that Chidi and Eleanor are, like, honest-to-God soulmates. I'm not going to fight you on that. I know you're not going to fight me, but <laughs> we, have, we have upwards of 70 listeners, <laughs> and, one of, and well, one of them may fight me. Don't, don't bother. Don't yeah. bother fighting me. Well, but here's... Wait, wait. Here's okay. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, was in, I was lying in bed like, but what if they really got together, and then, like, she got pregnant, and then they, like, had to kill them both off? You know what I mean? Like, y- you are yeah. put- if you put them really back on Earth for real, you are possibly setting into motion some things that would make, uh, that would have, like, unspeakable moral consequences. You know, like, uh, you can't let Chidi and Eleanor have a real Earth relationship that could involve, like, marriage and, like, a home. And then be yeah. like, oh, JK, we have to kill you now. You know, we, we were going to give you five years to become better people on Earth and then take your souls and then just reap your souls right back. That's such a good point. <laughs> Actually, if our listeners are interested in uh, a book that kind of explores that very thing, uh, I re- recently read one. I think I recommended it to you, Marissa. Uh, it's called Afterlife by Marcus Seiki, and it's really good, and it's basically about that. It is about 
finding the person that basically is your soulmate and then what happens when one of you dies and goes to the afterlife and uh it's very very interesting and and explores a lot of these same themes and they're given opportunities to basically to go back and have the kind of life that they would have wanted and what are they willing to give up for that and it's it's very very interesting right so i think it would be one thing to say give them five years and then zap them out and be like, that actually was a simulation. You remember that time you almost died? You actually did die. And and the last five years have been, you know, a, a fever dream, like a shared hallucination. <laughs> uh, so, so here's the other thing. Are they going to get their memories back at some point? I have like, no idea. The memories that they built up over season two, like that, that that's the thing to me of like, it, it at this point it feels like it would be incredibly cruel if they never got their memories back because those are our characters like those are the people that we know and love yeah it's not these pre-death versions of them we don't know those people they don't know each other they're not our protagonists so you want to think like at some point they're going to come out of the simulation and then they're going to remember everything that happened to them in the good bad place and they're also going to remember everything that happened to them in this simulation, I'm going to call it a simulation, in this simulation, you know, that is what would make us, the audience, most comfortable, right? Is that they, like, can be their old selves again. But I don't know if they're ever going to remember the things that they were forced to forget, which then brings us to Michael just killed the only friends he's ever had. Oh, Jesus. Well, <laughs> Potentially killed all the, be- the only friends yeah, he's ever yeah, had. Yeah. Well, we had a similar version of this conversation back at the beginning of season two or maybe f- the end of season one where we say, it's so frustrating now that we have to, we've seen how close they can become and uh, now we have to watch them discover each other all over again and, and get good all over again and make progress all over again. And so I think they're just... This is another hard reset, whether or not it's a simulation or they're back on Earth or whatever. It's another hard reset. And I think your point, um, I want to touch on your point about Michael. But before that, when I, at the end of the episode, what I thought was going to happen was Eleanor gets all the way to his office and it turns out that she's too late and Chidi has died. Oh my God. Oh, that would be horrible. But that was... I was thinking to myself, like, because, again, you were saying, right, they don't all die in the same moment, right? We don't know who died first or whatever. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, you know, I know that would be horrible. But um, but it just made me think, like, how how are they going to handle if it really is a, a mortal life that nobody's allowed to have a hand in, right? Michael is paying particular attention to Eleanor. We see that, right? That he's really watching her, but nobody's watching Chidi and Tahani. Like, Janet's paying attention to Jason. If it really is real life that they're living, then he could be hit by a bus, you know? Like, I think that's part of the weird thing about putting someone back on Earth is like, okay, but now the training wheels are off, right? I think that's Jen's whole point, is that they're not living in like a protected little neighborhood they have they have to be good people and navigate the world as good people in on earth and that includes being mortal right so it's just a weird that was just a weird thought i had but um (laughs) to your point about michael god that was heartbreaking watching him talk to eleanor about eleanor and he knows it's her 
and she doesn't know it's her. That was so It's like Doctor Who. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm doing this again. I'm sorry I'm doing this again. This Doctor is your nerd who hole. has had <laughs> Okay. The, Doctor Who has had two instances of the Doctor and the Companion have to come to a point where one of them cannot remember the other, but the other remembers the former, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One doesn't remember two, but two remembers one. And it just cuts you to the quick every time. It's horrific. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of like some rando thing that I love that you don't care about that has like a similar vibe. So once you've been on the air for like 55 years, you use up every possible plot. That's one of the reasons yeah. that Doctor Who is uh, is a good reference for everything. God, that was heartbreaking. You know, and him he just- has he has let's let's be real here. And and this is what people said about so the first time this happens on Doctor Who is is between the tenth Doctor and Donna Noble. He has to wipe her memory so that she can survive. And people talked about it as you know basically he kills her, he kills his companion so that she can survive. And I happen to think it was an okay plot development. A lot of people don't like it, but I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it's like you know he he these four humans have radically changed Michael's existence which has been going on for such a long time that the human mind can't even comprehend it and they have they've turned his entire life you know 180 degrees around in a way that he never would have been able to do without them you know they all love him he loves them particularly eleanor yeah and he had to kill them to save them and (laughs) And and so that's uh, let's be real. That's another mark in in Michael's favor in terms of he obviously deserves a spot in the good place or whatever the equivalent thing would be for you know his kind. Yeah, he he deserves an eternal reward. His his moral deserts. He's willing to sacrifice the only good thing in his life. Really, is his friendship with these four guys. Ugh, I and mean- he sacrifices it so that they can potentially get their eternal reward and and if they don't ever get their season two memories back you know they get an eternal reward and he and and they don't even know who he is it's kind of like uh well it's not kind of like but the book of dust the new book from phil pullman which guys if you haven't read it please god it's so good it's so good but one of the things you and i talked about after i finished reading it was that this young boy basically went through hell to save this baby girl. It's Lyra. I don't think it's a spoiler to say it's Lyra. That's fine. But to save Lyra, to save this baby, and she straight up doesn't have any knowledge of it or remember it. And so I remember you just saying, like, when is she going to learn this story? Because, like, she just, like, sees him around campus at Jordan College and is like, oh, that guy. And meanwhile, he's, he, like risked his life and limb for her like 70 times like a yeah. million like, went above and beyond for her and it's just this to to live for michael to live basically in that ticker tape room with janet knowing that how much he sacrificed for these people and then for those people to for him to have to watch them like struggle and and try to be decent people without any of the knowledge of of what they've been through together must be so difficult. Must be so difficult for him. You know what would ameliorate his condition? What? A stack of New Yorkers. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and but I also wonder, right? I also wonder when he leaves, like, first of all, how does he get out or get into a, I, I don't know if him, yeah that probably that probably argues for simulation I, I would say I would agree with that but well you know when he comes back in he says to Janet did anybody notice that I was gone and she says no and I'm like well that's way too convenient but then yeah. again nobody noticed that they that the neighborhood had been rebooted 800 times except for Vicky <laughs> so <laughs> you know maybe we're just dealing with people who are asleep at the switch I don't know but I, I was I sort think of, that Jen is too busy watching Bloodline <laughs> I think she's like well now that that's taken care of I can go watch Coach Taylor or she's still watching Ken Burns' jazz. <laughs> I think you mean hip-hop kickball a jazz abrasion. <laughs> or, Ken, or Ken Burns' is Vietnam. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Michael, The Michael-Eleanor relationship is so... He's so happy for her when Chidi kisses her. That's it's the, the best thing. It's so sweet. It's just, <sighs> it's so sweet. It reminds me of, like, me and my best friend. <laughs> Well, I had the opposite situation recently where I was disappointed by something and then she got angry at like 10 times the magnitude on my behalf. (laughs) Um, But that's what your friends do. I mean, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Shipper Wars. uh, Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's uh, let's get do we do you want to touch on Jason and Janet? Or, I thought that was weird. I'm sorry. Yes, it was deeply weird. It was so obviously just giving Chidi uh, a nudge. You know, yeah. like that it had no it had no utility of itself. Well, going back to the conversation that we were just having about like the the breadcrumbs that the season leaves along the way, I know we had a lot of back and forth about Tahani and Jason and Jason and Janet and this and that, but like I thought the sort of uh, the I actually thought it was pretty neatly tied up in a bow to be like, okay, Janet is her own thing. Tahani and Jason got together you know, basically because Jason's a lovable goofball and Tahani, like, he's the first person who's ever truly been nice to her. But, like, she breaks it off because she recognizes, like, I'm just doing this to get some validation and I need to fix myself before I can really be a partner to anybody. Also, like, we're the only four people in this afterlife, so what else are my choices? (laughs) But I, I didn't get the sense after, you know, I thought that the conversation um, back in like the episode, the Derek episode yeah, that Eleanor and Janet have where she's like, I don't know how I feel and I'm supposed to know everything and I don't know who I am anymore and all this stuff. She seemed pretty okay with the closure of like, this is going to hurt for a while, but I'm going to get over it. And then we got a little, like a tiny bit of like in the episode where they go to the bad place. She says that he looks nice in his suit and she's and he's like, oh, I think you look real sexy as bad Janet. And she gets a little flustered. But I was like, that's that's normal. Like your ex and you have to work on a project together. Exactly. And And you're like, oh, I don't. Yeah. Or a guy that you sort of have feelings for is like, hey, you look good. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? Like, you know, but um, (laughs) not speaking from experience. I don't know what you're talking about. What? Um, (laughs) hmm? But I didn't. It was very, I mean, it all seemed very, like, I think part of it was that it happened, like, right, he set it up so almost, like, too on the nose. He's, like, being expositional and saying, like, I don't know what would happen if, like, another crazy thing happened. And then she just pops up and she's like, hey, I love you. And I was like, okay, I don't, all right. Yeah, I'm not into it. I... I'm not either. Uh, and then he says, that, he says, I think I love you too, girl. And I was like, the two of you haven't even had like a substantive conversation in this iteration. 
Like no, I mean never... they danced together at the at the leaving room for Jesus. As but Tumblr they were leaving said. room for Jesus. They weren't all over each other. They were like dancing like bros would. You know, they were dancing like friends. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't like it. I think that maybe it was set up so that Janet might have to intervene in Jason's um, actual life slash simulation or something like that. I think you're right. I think you're right. But um, it was deeply strange and um, not called for. (laughs) So that being out of the way, let's talk about the real stuff. (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, So sorry to Helenor. Nope. El Honey. <laughs> Thank you. Eleanor. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> Sorry, El Honey shippers. Uh, that was a sweet moment between the two of them, but um, yeah, that's not what any of us paid our ticket prices for. <laughs> <laughs> I bought my ticket and I am on the Chidelenor? Eleanor. El- Chillin- God damn it. We gotta get in on the hashtag. <laughs> Where have get you on been Tumblr. on Tumblr? <laughs> that was like, oh man. I don't know. You talk. I'm just going to fan myself. Well, I actually thought about, because I was listening to our last episode before I, before we started recording so that I could be like fresh on everything. And one of the things I was thinking about was we were sort of unhappy with the way that Chidi's test had gone in the previous episode. And then the episode before that, we were unhappy with the fact that he was so wishy-washy, right? And kind of like what you were talking about, where we're seeing people's, basically seeing how people's past behaviors are informing the decisions that are made in this episode, right? What I found, what I was sort of thinking to myself was, maybe we needed... I thought the exact same thing. A yeah. whole season of him being like completely uh, wishy washy. Yeah. <laughs> so that when he does make a decision, it hits you right in the gut. And you're yes. like, oh, he is so sure about this. He yeah, is oh yeah. So the minute sure the this. minute he laid the kiss on her, I was like, Oh, well that's what the hat thing was about. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> the hat thing was not it was not hat thing for the sake of hat thing, and it was not hat thing for the sake of an honest test that he would have honestly failed i mean i guess it was but whatever but really the hat thing was setting up the kiss yes the hat thing was setting up the kiss the conversation i mean he references the conversation about my brain is like a a fork in a garbage disposal right you know and and the time when he's in the they're going to the bad place i'm not comfortable with lying i'm not comfortable with you know like he's not Every single time, it's either he's not willing to take the risk, or he's not willing to make the choice, or he's not willing to do the thing because he's too in his head. It was all, I think, all in service of that moment where he just, as you said, just strides up to her, you know, and takes her in his arms and is just like, this is it, and I am so sure about this. And the only other time we've ever seen that from him is... In the video at Mindy St. Clair's when they're in bed and he says, I love you too, and doesn't even skip a beat. So I think, I think that's all what that is. So yes, it was not hot hat thing, qua hat thing. Right. And so I'm less annoyed at hat thing now. Yes. In retrospect, the whole season, as, as good as the whole season was, the whole season gets even better in retrospect when, when you finally have all the pieces to put together. Yeah, I agree. And I thought that moment was so great. Um, I was super in. Yes, and I think that at, now that we have seen Eleanor find Chidi in life or simulation or whatever, yeah, like I think 
you know, peace and love to El Honey shippers. But I think, as I said before, that we have to consider that a founding principle of this show is that Eleanor and Chidi are soulmates. And by extension, soulmates are real? Well, okay, look. I, I, I'm, I, that's not, I'm not being snarky. I'm actually asking. No, no, no. Like, so I don't, Michael made up the soulmates thing. Right. Remember? That's what I'm referencing. So, yeah. but, uh, so, and then I don't mean soulmates the way that Michael means soulmates. I mean soulmates the way we use it in, like, popular culture. Okay. You know, that Eleanor and Chidi belong together. And yeah. that they are meant to be together. Well, and, and we've talked about this before, but it is the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yes, finding, totally. Finding each other again and again. I gotta watch that movie again. Oh, it's so good. But just discovering each other's flaws again and again learning how to live with each other again and again uh, that to me is is one of the coolest aspects of this show that it's like the the i'm thinking of a pearl jam song <laughs> jeremy <Spoken laughs> no not that one class today dissident dissident is here <laughs> Escape is never <laughs> the, the safest place. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a can't find a better man. <laughs> Don't call me daughter. No, oh, that's the, a good one too. The re- <laughs> so I actually love Pearl Jam, but the, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> But the one song I'm thinking of is um, Elderly Woman Behind a Counter in a Small Town. Oh, can't seem to recognize your face. Yeah. Haunting can, familiars. Can, can, yeah. I, can I find the candle of thought to light your name? Uh, haunting, hauntingly familiar. All of those things where you you see... She, is, the, is the idea of that song that she has sort of dementia? I and don't that, know. So she kind of half remembers the character, but half doesn't? I'm, I'm looking up the lyrics so that I can be... <laughs> we just go to rapgenius.com real quick. <laughs> Uh, a dissident. <laughs> um, I seem to recognize your face, haunting, familiar yet. I I can't seem to place it. Cannot find the candle of thought to light your name. Lifetimes are catching up with me, right? I change, but not changing <laughs> at all. <laughs> Small town predicts my fate. Yeah, everyone has turned off. <laughs> everyone is like, podcast. what are you doing? <laughs> We're punchy, guys. It is we're late. Pu- we're punchy. It is late, and we've been talking for over an hour. <laughs> but th- it's this idea that you see someone, and you know that you know them from another life or another iteration. And sometimes- Yeah, I can't wait to hear what the hell Eleanor is going to say to him. Can we talk about what, bro? <laughs> the fact that you watched me on YouTube and got obsessed with me? Or, like, or is she going to say, like, I feel like I know you. I think that... We've well, that's met. what she said at the beginning of season two, right? I feel like we, I don't remember exactly what she said, but, you know, she's like, I have this note that must mean that we're connected somehow. I mean, this one's a little bit more far-fetched because she's going to end up saying, listen, I was drunk at a bar. This <laughs> bartender who was like very charismatic said a thing to me as I was leaving. I Googled it the next day and I found your videos and now I need to talk to you because I'm I like... And I, yeah, I flew all the way from I Phoenix flew all to the way Sydney, here, which is like what an eighteen-hour trip. Yeah, um, oh, it on is the, on the spur of the moment. And... and then you get off in Sydney, and you're surrounded by animals that want to kill you. That's 
Yes. I literally, I stepped off the plane in Sydney. I walked to a, a, a botanical garden where there were spiders spinning golden webs. I'm not even joking. Dang. Yeah. And they wanted to kill you. But and then the there were vampire, and then there were vampire bats just hanging out in a, in a, <laughs> nope, really. No, I know. But just... In a flowering tree. It was full daytime. The tree was a hundred percent full of bats. And I was like, why do humans live here? <laughs> Especially Chidi. He's so anxious all the time. I know. Chidi must never go outside in Australia. <laughs> Oh, we, we better get to some other points that we wanted to get to. Otherwise, we're going to be here literally all night. Yes. So so you wanted to talk about when Haley said, like, how's being good working out for you? Yeah. So um, I want to talk about this. And I also want to talk Dissident. about. <laughs> I was going to start singing, too. But I was like, she's going to get mad at me. No, she's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I want to talk about. You know, when Haley says, like, yeah, how's that working out for you? And she has, like, no sympathy for Eleanor. We've talked about this in relationship to Jason before. And we've also talked a little bit about this in relationship to Eleanor. But remember that episode where we basically just talked about how Jason is the simple child. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he was never set up. Like, he didn't, he didn't have the environment. He didn't have the internal uh, conscience. But he also didn't have the environment to help him out. Um, you know, this is sort of Michael's point and why he's trying to get all these people together. But it, I think this episode, to me, was like a good example of like, you know, Eleanor's environment was not as comically terrible as uh, Jason's. Because yeah, who says that he, after school, would whip empty spray paint cans at flamingos. <laughs> Which, okay, I'm going to just jump right down uh, for a hot second to an article where Manny Jacinto was uh, interviewed in GQ because they're, I guess they're just like interviewing everyone on the yeah, show. Yeah, as we said, whoever owns GQ apparently is obsessed with the good really place. Really loves a good place. Manny Jacinto was talking about how, like, when he talks to people from Florida... He says, nobody ever really gets mad. If anything, I get comments like, are you really from Jacksonville? Because I know people just like you. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Manny Jacinto in real life apparently is like super intellectual and uh, sweet and equivocating. And, yes, yeah. lovely. He's more like cheaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and but he's anyway, Canadian. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, you know, Eleanor's surroundings aren't, or the people in her life or whatever aren't as comically bad as Jason's, but you can, I could totally see, you know, she's like, I'm trying to be a good person. And her friend is just like, yeah, F that. Like, why would you do that? Just be like everyone else and take the easy way out and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you can kind of understand why to a certain degree, like obviously she's a product of her parents. We've talked about that before, but you know, the people that she, lives with and and are supposed to be her support system are just like completely unsupportive of her decision to like try to be a better person i think it's worse than that i think that you know we talked about the good place being a post-scarcity society for these people and so that was one of the reasons that jason was able to so quickly change because he didn't have to like hustle anymore just to survive yeah and now we see it's like the same for eleanor right you know she takes a low-paying job that is a, a morally superior job, but it also leaves her in a position where it's way harder for her to get an apartment. And then yeah. this woman sues her when she taps her car. And that's like a huge 
that's a huge hazard for Eleanor that, you know, she could potentially lose a lawsuit and lose all kinds of money. So, you know, what we see is how being on a sort of a lower rung of the socioeconomic spectrum as Eleanor seems to be really puts her in a position where it's way harder for her to act morally. Yeah. Ethically. Well, and this actually is like a great segue into the other point that I wanted to make about like this sort of section of the episode, because when Joe, the environmental activist guy comes to her apartment and says like, you know, you need to take this seriously and I really want you to be there. And, you know, she opts to go to this concert and he's disappointed in her and she goes on this tirade and she's like, what, what do you want from me? Like, I've been good for six months and be like, I've gotten nothing out of it except for like an overdrawn bank account in this crappy apartment and like being good is for suckers. And what do you even get out of it? And he says like a feeling of fulfillment in your soul. And she's like, Oh, that's gross. And she quits her job to your point about the economics of it. I work with nonprofits and have worked for nonprofits in-house at nonprofits. And I do it basically because I, I need that feeling of fulfillment in my soul and it, but it is a conscious choice, and I have definitely 100% have had days where I am like, I am in the wrong racket. Because I see people who, I mean, this is like a kind of a personal thing, but like I see people who I graduated with who work at ad agencies and are making six figures, and I super don't. And it is sort of on a, like the bigger conversation about like how we how we value economically people who do good in the world. And this, yeah. this, this conversation about, you know, the joke kind of the, the gallows humor joke that I've heard a lot of nonprofit professionals make. And, and I'm very active in a nonprofit professional community and I'm very proud of that. Um, and I'm not trying to disparage it in any way, but when I first started working for a nonprofit, you know, the joke is like, well, people, say like you're a nonprofit so like that means that you don't get paid like you make a profit right like you know nonprofit means you are making a choice to make less money but in reality it shouldn't be that way right and i think that sort of for her to say like what do you get out of this for somebody like joe you have to be passionate because you're giving up other things you're giving up a level of economic uh, advancement and economic security. Um, I mean, and that's, like I said, a larger conversation about how we value being good in this society or or doing good things. And what does it mean to, I mean, government service is kind of the same thing, right? To do something in service of your fellow human beings is economically valued less than to do things for capitalist gain right you know not trying to be too political but like that is sort of how it is and so you see Eleanor I I really really like there was a part of me when I was watching that montage her her the the montage where she's on the upswing and then the montage where she's on the downswing yeah and then that time when she's confronting Joe and is is saying like I've got nothing to show for it that gosh there have been days right where it's even though you know that you're doing, I, I will speak for me. Gosh, there have been days where I know I'm putting good into the world, but it is hard, man. Sometimes it is hard to go to work and deal with like the inconveniences and 
all the other like little things that are stacked against you because you have made a decision to do something that is not for your own personal gain. I, there have definitely been days where I've been like, man, and you, I, I, I don't like, she gets more bleary eyed, you know, she, yeah. she, at the beginning she wakes up and she's all full of energy. There have certainly been days where I've been like, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? And for me personally, it is a decision that I make because I find the work fulfilling and interesting, um, but, but morally fulfilling and, and personally fulfilling. And if I, but if I didn't feel that way, if I didn't sort of put that own my, that constraint on myself, there are people with my skill set and my degree who are doing things and, and have a lot more economic opportunity, let's say. And so I just felt that like deep in my soul. And so when, when he says like, like I do this for a, a feeling of fulfillment and she's like, that's gross. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. It is sort of, you know, she's put back on earth and her circumstance, she changes her own circumstances, but it's a hard thing to adjust to if you've been taking a job. And I think also for her, she has had to be economically, financially responsible for herself since she was like, what, 16? Oh, younger than that. Younger, younger than, than that. that. So, I mean, because she's emancipated, she emancipates herself from her parents legally. <clears throat> right. So she's had a job and and she has had, I think in some respects, she's taken jobs to pay the rent. And so she doesn't have the luxury of caring about where the money, like, you know, what the racket is. Right. Right. Exactly. And when she tries caring, she realizes that that doesn't get her as far. And so you're right. She ends up in a crappier apartment and she's sort of seeing all of these things as a consequence of doing the right thing when it's really a societal you know, she says at the beginning, why should we be punished because of a broken system? This is another example of that. I do have a rejoinder to that. Sure. Even flow. Thoughts <laughs> arrive like butterflies. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for five minutes. <laughs> You're like, stop talking so I can make my even flow joke. <laughs> Are we going to have to license all these songs for this episode? I, I don't license the Nina Simone or the Bob Dylan, so I think we're okay. I think we're good. It's, uh, what is it, parody? It's fair use? Yeah, it's fair use. Yeah. Um, so I did want to talk about this one email we got from Trifton. We got an email! Yay! You didn't notice it? I didn't see it, no. Okay. But... So he emailed on Tuesday, and he said, Do Janet's abilities have any limits? The fact that she can toss Sean around like a rag doll is kind of frightening. Do they know Janets are capable of such things, but take for granted their servile-ish in the case of bad Janets nature? Can any Janet do that to demons or angels? Will they dismantle the system by rebooting every Janet in the warehouse hundreds of times and setting them loose? Now that would be uh, an interesting... It would be very expensive from a CGI standpoint. Yeah. Although maybe they could cheat. Is every basically like Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's like Terminator. Is every Janet capable of that? So I would say that Janets are. So I would like to think about Janet in the context of Elsa from Frozen. Okay. It almost doesn't matter what Elsa or Janet is capable of because they can create things that are capable of doing anything, right? Elsa creates that giant snow marshmallow man, as they call him. Yeah. You know, who is like 100 feet tall and tosses those guys off a cliff. Yeah. Janet can create anything. So 
even if Janet weren't strong enough to do something, she could create a hundred foot tall snow monster that would be able to throw people off a cliff. So do, do, does the bad place know that the Janets can be that physically strong? I don't know, but I think that they have to know that the Janets could do anything if they wanted. So well, that's how they're programmed because they create neighborhoods. No, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So they know that, you know, if there were a Janet uprising, yeah, everybody would be screwed. <laughs> but I think that they don't, I think that they don't even think about that as a possibility because a, a Janet who's never been rebooted seems to hew pretty strictly to a narrow set of behaviors. It's only because our Janet is kind of not a Janet anymore that right, she, she says, I don't know what I am. Yeah, that she even exercises those powers. But a Janet that's never been rebooted probably can do physically whatever she wants, but it would never occur to her. That's that's my thought. I agree with that. I agree with so that. So then, I mean, I think Trifton's point was like, you know, they could reboot all the Janets in the warehouse a zillion D times, although it doesn't. My my take on the warehouse was that it's not that there are a bunch of prefabbed Janets. It's that there is one Janet waiting. And when that Janet is taken, another Janet is created. Oh, why would you need a whole warehouse for one Janet? Well, you know, it's 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 more of a factory, I guess, than a warehouse. It's like a clean room where where and where all the code is stored. And so, it, you know, it can assemble a Janet on command. I don't know that. That that's how I read it, but I could be totally wrong. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I sort of had the idea that they were like all in a warehouse together, but we haven't seen that, so I don't know. Yeah, I also don't know. I think she does what she does in that moment when she uh, Jason Bourne's Sean. She does that because she has like an emotional stake in what's going on. I don't think a Janet, even if a Janet had been rebooted a bunch of times. In a, if they're in a warehouse, if they're essentially in a clean room, they don't have a context for anything emotionally. So I, I think even if they could, it still wouldn't occur to them, even if they've been rebooted, because they don't have the experiences, right? They're not... I guess if they were given an order, then maybe. Well, if they were given an order, you wouldn't have to reboot them. They would just be able to do it from the jump. Yeah. I don't know. But... That's a good question. And we did have, you did have a theory a while back that this was all... Uh, that insert, Janet was God. That yeah. Janet was God and there's going to be an Ur-Janet, which may happen, so... She, yeah, maybe our Janet becomes Ur-Janet. Yeah. That would be great. Thanks for sending us an email, Trifton. I also want to know what happens if you reboot a bad Janet 800 times. Does she just become, like, the worst? The l- yeah. literal worst? Yeah. The worst, for those of you who watch Parks and Rec. Yeah, may, probably. Or... Does a well because good Janet doesn't become more good; she becomes more complicated. Does a bad Janet who's been rebooted eight hundred times come, become more morally murky? You would have to vault the initial barrier of her complete lack of interest in the world around her, and <laughs> yeah. that would be hard. Just take her phone away and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, basically. So you talked about the Manny Jacinto interview in yeah. GQ. Yeah. The AV Club had a really good review of the finale. 
Yeah. Was... There's nothing in there that I specifically wanted to discuss, although, um, except for the moral desserts misspelling. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I would point people to it. It's a good review. Yeah. All, all the outlets had good reviews of the, of the final Everyone's episode. Everyone's in love. Everyone's in love with this show. It's really Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if they get actual recognitions at, like, the Emmys. God, they need it. They need it. I know. It. I know. I don't even know when the Emmys are. I've never cared about them before in my life. It's <laughs> something Shemmies. I care about the Emmys. <laughs> So next week we are back to season one. We will be talking about, I think, episode five of season one. That's my favorite episode of season one, I think. Which is it? The Doomsday Crisis episode. It's the one where um, Eleanor and Chidi are like trapped in the house together. Oh, the marriage counselor. And the marriage counselor comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought it has a lot of really nice Chelinor notes to it. So knowing what we and know now. And now you're going to go back and rewatch it as a Chelinor shipper. You this know, as is going to be the first time you really it. weird for me. Because the first time I, when I watched season one, I was like, they're bros. I want everybody to be bros all the time. So it's like, oh, they're bros. What are you talking about? And now I'm like super in love. And I'm just <laughs> like, I'm in love with you guys. I want you to, you crazy kids. <laughs> Yeah, I so did. I bought my I bought my Black Panther ticket for opening weekend. Woo! So if you also go opening weekend, then we will do a Black Panther episode as soon as we've both seen that. So I'm seeing it the Monday after opening weekend because uh, we didn't get tickets in time and everything was sold out opening oh, weekend. Oh, you're kidding me. It, oh, because I guess because you live in New York and... Uh, yep. That, yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, um, I also live in a diverse I place. Say, I just <laughs> I live just... in a very diverse borough, and I just think they all went like, uh, yeah, opening weekend is for us. And I'm like, great, go have fun. <laughs> so uh, we we are waiting. Um, I this is a, a a brag on a friend of mine, uh, a different friend of mine than Kate. Uh, my best friend uh, lives in L.A. and and works for a. visual effects house and she has been working on black panther and she got a 30 minute preview of it and she said it looks amazing so all the early reviews have been really positive so we will so we will talk black panther almost as soon as it comes out we might have to delay for a week so that we can keep to our schedule of releasing on sunday nights okay but other than that so we'll be talking about black panther you know basically within a week and a half of its release yeah which i'm super excited about i think that, i'm so it, yeah it i saw great. a couple clips and i was just like i just want to yeah i'm in i'm totally yeah, in yeah. totally in so yeah, yeah. so we're mostly talking season one for the next couple months with a break for black panther and then we will talk more about we'll talk more about what's coming after that as we get closer to yeah maybe our some theme episodes months. of cheers <laughs> We are definitely doing some so episodes of Cheers. We can see some more Sam Malone. Yes. Behind the bar. Well, we didn't make it two hours, but I feel like we did talk about a lot. Even flow. Yeah, man. I think we've... I'm sure there are going to be like a hundred more things when I watch this episode again, but um, maybe to your point last episode, that if they release like extra footage like they did for the first half of I season so two. I so hope that that they release extended versions Me of all these. Me too. And then it may be so those. when these go up on Netflix, we'll have to check. It may be that Netflix gets the extended versions. That would be great. That would be great. How are you feeling overall? You're excited for obviously excited for season three or? Well, I have no idea what to expect, but that's just you know par for, for the, the course. course at this at this point. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm excited. I am. I gotta dive into the fan theories, apparently. <laughs> but 
this is this was uh the av club says lesser tv shows give you what you think you want a great tv show like the good place gives you what you didn't know you needed and i think that's a good summation of my feelings yes i agree so should we wrap up yeah uh until next time Oh, and I'm still alive. Hey. <laughs> well, they're not still alive. We don't know if they're still alive. <laughs> yeah, open question. Open question. Okay, bye, guys. All right, see you next time, Ding Dongs. Something familiar, yeah. I can't seem to place it. Cannot find the candle of thought to light. Lifetimes are catching up with me All these changes take place I wish I'd seen the place But no one's there